I don't ask anybody's question but yours. Is he in? He is! Dungey with another touchdown run! Because you're an idiot. It's not how tall, it's how long, and Warwick got a piece of that. And really, a disloyal person. And a few other things I could add, but I'll, I'm not going to. Ennis, two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it! He hit it! He hit the shot! Happy game day today, Cuse Nation. This is the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Tyler Rocky and Tim Leonard. Be sure to check out the show on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. And also, if you're just trying to catch up, doing some stuff around the house, just tell your smart speaker, hey, play the Locked On Syracuse podcast. All right, Tim. So this Syracuse team, we've got a number of topics to get into today. It is a game day, so we will get to our, our pit preview later on. And we'll also open up the prop shop. But what I want to start with today is something that we heard yesterday on ESPN Rochester. It's been floating around the Twitterverse as well. But it's a comment that Jim Beheim made. And we're looking at this, really this entire season, and been saying, you know what, these big men just have not delivered when you needed them to. They've been bullied down low. Even, I mean, we saw Moses Wright, who, not to take any way, anything away yeah. from his performance, but he's not some all-caliber type of, of post-presence. And no. he made Syracuse look like the JV team. So He did. Jim Beheim went on ESPN Rochester in, in the the days before leading up to the John Wallace jersey retirement ceremony, and he got asked about the big man. And here's what he had to say: Foul problem has been a big issue. Our, 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 we have I have I've done a bad job recruiting physical guys inside. We need a couple physical guys inside. Uh, you know, and obviously that's all recruiting. That's on me. I got to do better there. But uh, we just haven't been physical enough inside uh, in some situations. And the big guys that we do have have, have committed some some really bad fouls that you just would think they could avoid. And that whole interview was really some candid stuff from Bayham. I know you mentioned you, you heard the whole thing, and were telling me a little bit here and there about some of this other stuff he said, but. To, for him to say that and really put the onus on himself that Finally. he has not recruited these guys well is is pretty pretty self-aware that I'd I, I like to see that out of Beheim and it's good that he's taking ownership because it has been a struggle. Yeah. First step is recognizing the problem, Tyler Rocky, and I'm sure he has known it for a while. He hasn't publicly said anything in regards to it. He hasn't really been asked about it to his defense. So it's not like he has denied it before. There's no reason for us to think that he's ever felt differently. But this is good to hear because, as we've talked about, this is the biggest problem with Syracuse right now. You bring up Moses Wright. We talked about him on the last podcast. But that's an example of a player I think Syracuse should be able to go out and get with really not having much issues. And they've missed on some, and he's taken ownership of that. So, as he likes to say this year to some of the reporters, it's not rocket science. This is a team that he said it in that interview. He said the bottom line is it's the inside play that's really hurt them. It's the foul trouble, and he's got to get better at recruiting that position. And that's why we talked about those grad transfers. If you missed any of that podcast, go check it out from yesterday on some of those guys that they could get to come next year because that is how they correct what is the really – Biggest problem, but honestly, 
one of the only problems on this team. And he did go on to say how proud he is of his team, given everything, and how he does feel like at Syracuse they always have teams that play hard. And I agree with And he had some other noteworthy stuff about the NIT to say that we can get to a little bit later on. But overall, I was happy to hear that interview because he was candid and he took ownership of what is the biggest problem. So I went all the way back to 2013, okay, and kind of evaluated the centers and the big men that he has recruited. I mean, Yikes. I'm just going to read you through the list, okay? So Please we'll start do. in 2013. Chino Aboko didn't last long. But just look at his build. Not a physical guy. Tyler Roberson, who, who he, he gave you some physicality. Yeah. Chris McCullough, another lanky guy, six about 6'9", six, under 200 pounds. Then 2015, you got Tyler Lydon. So he was, he was a physical enough, a good post presence down low. After that, Torian Thompson didn't last long. But again, 6'9", 200 pounds. Not a guy who you're going to expect to be super physical. And that's because it's the zone and they have to get out to the corner. I get all that. But at the same time, Moses Wright is physical and athletic and pretty quick. Like a guy like that could get out to the corner. And I know we keep talking about him, but he's just an example of several in the ACC that could play the zone and also give you more on offense. 2017. Dolajai, who every single broadcast you hear the color guys say, that guy could use a steak or something. <laughs> Barama Sidibe, 6'9", he, he clearly has been the, it seems like the root of the problem and a lot of Bayheim's criticism this year. Then you go Robert Braswell, who is actually 20 pounds lighter than uh, Marek Dolajai, but he's more of a three type of player. And then you go to 2019, you've got Garrier, 190. Jesse Edwards, again, 6'11, 205. And then John Bolajak, 6'10, 205. He has just littered this program with string beans over these past couple of years. Not to mention, you got a transfer from Providence in Pascal Chuku as well, who, again, not a lot of, of girth there. And you look at these past seven or so years, and the most physical guys that you have to speak of on the interior for your team are Tyler Roberson and Tyler Lydon. And really, they're. There hasn't been, there hasn't been anyone that stepped up and like emerged really either. Like no, no one has developed into that. They those guys like kind of had a little build to them coming in, but out, yeah, outside of that, there's been. I mean, you've recruited, and you really haven't built them up in the weight room. It feels like that's why when we talk about Jesse Edwards, I there's two sides to it because I do like him. I see his shot in warm-ups, and I'm really impressed by his offensive potential, and I'm impressed by what he has in terms of his skill set offensively. But I don't see a world where, given the track record of building these guys up to the point where – I don't see a world where he gets to the point where he is above 220, 215, 225, and actually a rim protector – in every sense of the word, meaning that he is physical. He can bang bodies down low. He can get a rebound against a guy like Vernon Carey, against a guy like John Mooney in the ACC. I don't. That's my biggest issue is the weight thing. I, I get that. But my, my thing with, with Edwards is this, is he's one of the few guys who you recruited as a true center in these last seven or so years who is a pure offensive guy. It's it's him and Torian Thompson, and, and Thompson had some some great offensive games, but a lot more lackluster defensive games. And I think Edwards is in a different boat because he picked up basketball so late, so 
he's so raw and we don't really know what his ceiling is as a player. And that's why I've sort of been at his defense. But when, when you look at that list of players, I mean, it is astonishing that a program like Syracuse, who is, I mean, you think of, of the elite programs of college basketball, and Syracuse is certainly amongst the ones historically who you think of. And just a testament to that is Jim Beheim has never had a below 500 season. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. But exactly. We'll we'll see. I mean, that could all change this year, but I mean, something I has to change recruiting wise. Something yeah. has to change recruiting wise. You have to go out there and and just get a dude. Someone who's just going to who's just going to bang bodies down low. And I don't know if if we're going to see that in what however much longer Jim Beheim has left here at Syracuse. I mean, they he had a chance with a Isaiah Stewart. Too. That that yeah. seems like one of the, the big misses of, of recent memory. That could have completely changed the physicality dynamic. I mean, you see him with Washington. He's flying back and forth in the zone, and he's then he's perfect. not afraid to, afraid to bruise. He's exactly what we're talking about. And not just him. I mean, Precious Achua, who went to Memphis, they were after. Guy from Bronx. He's 6'9", 210, so still a little slender, but seems to have more of a presence down low. And how about Kofi Coburn, who's turned out to be a great freshman for Illinois. Yeah, Illinois. And was right around 50 on ESPN's 100 last year. He's 6'10", 280, and he's pretty agile for that. A guy who came out of New York, went to play at Oak Hill. Kai Jones is a center who went to Texas from Brewster Academy that they offered. A Coca Coke, who recently uh, actually just tore his meniscus, I think it was, for UConn, which is sad to see. But he's a guy that grew up in New Hampshire, had ties to Syracuse, and he thought they might get him. They've missed on a lot of them. And my biggest gripe is that they haven't really gone back and acquired that center here in 2020. Now, there is still some time here in 2020 for them to maybe pick up a center, but they don't have that many scholarships having already two commits in the class. So I'm happy to hear what Jim said, but it's, it's the biggest issue, and we'll continue to talk about it until we see him upgrade what he has admitted is a weakness right now in the program exactly all right when we come back we'll dive into some pit stuff now what to expect from the panthers a team syracuse has already beaten this year that's coming up next on locked on syracuse all right let's dive into pit here this is a team okay syracuse they have an eight point win over them but i don't think that really tells the story of the game the orange were all over the panthers who kind of put on a little bit of pressure in that second half, but in the end, the Orange came out victorious. You know, there's a lot of bad teams in in the ACC this year, but now that I start looking into it more, Pitt is really a contender for the worst. They really, I mean, you look at their numbers, they're on a four-game losing streak, they've got some really bad losses in here. I mean, losses to Wake Forest at home, you lose to Miami, you lose to to Virginia. I mean, there's no good win. I mean, you got a, a win against Florida State, but that's game one of the year at right. home. And and probably a fluke if, if they they played again and, and Florida State took care of them by 15. There's a case to be made that, that this Pitt team is the worst in the ACC. They have six wins, but that's almost because in six wins in conference play, I mean, But that's just a testament to how bad the league is. And you can rattle off their six wins outside of the Florida State one. They're not good. 
North Carolina, which was a road game, but come on. I mean, UNC this year has been handing out home losses. Then they beat UNC at home. They beat BC at home by two points. They beat Miami at home after losing to Miami on the road, which is a terrible loss. And then they beat Georgia Tech at home before they've since gone on to lose the last four games, as you mentioned. They're not a good team, and they don't have much size. They they have a couple guys down low that you know, maybe could hurt a team like Syracuse because, as we've talked about, it doesn't take much. You just have to have some shred of competence in the post for Syracuse to get exposed. Terrell Brown's probably their best bet at that guy, 6'10", 235, but even he is not that bruiser down low like other teams in the conference have. They're mostly backcourt dependent. Xavier Johnson, Trey McGallans, guys like that that you might have heard of. Adise Tony's pretty solid as a sophomore. It's nothing really that overwhelms you but it is a home game for them and like Syracuse at this point they're kind of playing with nothing to lose yeah and and Justin Champagne am I saying that right I think it's I forget how to say his name anyway yeah that guy (laughs) you'll remember him right he he torched Syracuse like that was one of his better games of the year had 14 points against the Orange um Ended up with a, a thirty-point game. I don't know how to say it. Ended up with a thirty-point yeah. game too against Georgia Tech, but he's a guy who, who caused some problems for Syracuse. I, I want to get into this because this is a, a team that doesn't have a ton of height on it. Okay, no. I mean their starting lineup is pretty much everyone is. You've got Terrell Brown in there, but he only plays sparingly minutes wise. But you're at six eight, six nine, and shorter most of the time out there for this pit team and, and Ken Palm has their average height as a hundredth in the country, but this is a team that you can hurt on the offensive glass. So they, they they're ranked 342nd in offensive rebound percentage, which is, I mean, that that's almost last in the country and you're an ACC team that that's really alarming. And we've seen Syracuse have some really good games on the offensive glass. You think of guys like Quincy Garrier and, and Marek Dolajai, they've had also they've done a good really job. Struggle. Even Sidibe at times. Oh, yeah. Like this is a game where Sidibe can play well. In fact, one of Sidibe's best games of his career came what was it, two years ago? And it came yeah, against Pitt. That's right. So this is a team that you can see a lot of these bigs maybe recouping and especially with the the Bayheim comments that we played for you maybe that they've got a little something to prove now a little chip on their shoulder that says okay this is a team that we can play really well against and, and in all honesty should play really well against last thing I'll mention on Pitt is this is a program right now that is on the uptick slightly based on what Jeff Capel is doing recruiting wise but they bottomed out big time with Kevin Stallings and let's not forget Jamie Dixon uh, at the time it's a classic case of a program at the time where grass is always greener on the other side type of stuff because they basically kicked Jamie Dixon out he goes to TCU and now everyone in that program is probably thinking man it was pretty good times when Dixon was there maybe they didn't quite get over the hump and quite get to that elite status but they weren't 15 and 13 like they are right now. So, well, I know some people want to see Bayheim go, and that's for a whole different podcast. Maybe over the summer we can dive into what our takes are on that. But it does feel like it's one of those scenarios where sometimes you just have to keep in mind that, well, it is good to have 
the ability to try and reach to get better and have and set high standards at a program, sometimes it backfires, and that's what happened to Pittsburgh here. They're 102 on Ken Palm, and they're kind of overachieving this year based on the talent they have. Right. So looking at this team, too, some of the other things where they really struggle, shooting the ball is a big one. They're outside the top 330 in three-point percentage, outside the top 300 in two-point percentage, and overall effective field goal percentage, that's 334th in the country. Like Those are not numbers good. that you should not see in the ACC in terms of basic offensive statistics. Yeah. <laughs> like th- Those are not numbers that are anywhere near the, the ACC standards. So if Syracuse... If they play like they can and get you they should 70 win. points, and they should, they should come away with a victory pretty handily in this one. Although I will say this, Ken Palm does have this right now as a one-point victory for Pitt. So the computer doesn't torn. like how they match up. I'm pretty torn. I think Syracuse will win this game, though, just based on what we saw in the second half against Georgia Tech. All right. When we come back, Tim... It's time to open up the prop shop. That's next, Locked on Syracuse. All right, time to close out with some fun. The way we always end our game day previews, it's the prop shop here on Locked on Syracuse. So we have five little props, prop bets that we have created ourselves. And we're we're just going to go through and guess. So a week ago, we had six. Tim, we each went three and three. All right, so... Chalk it up as say, a tie. The Sidibe one. I mean, talk about a bad beat. We did have the <laughs> over. That stuff never happens to us in real life. But imagine if you had the under. That's the worst. That would have been on SVP if that was a real bet. <laughs> yeah. Based on how bad. Get Stanford Eight Steve on the didn't phone. Didn't have a foul. Gosh. Exactly. We did it again. All right. So we'll start with, with some of the things that we're actually looking for in this game, and it's gonna be. We'll start with with some of the big men. Okay. Quincy Garrier, how many jumpers will he take? Not layups, not putbacks, not dunks. How many jumpers does he take in this game? We're setting it at one and a half. I'll take the over here. I think he should be shooting at least two jump shots a game, and I know it kind of goes against what we want him to do, which is be more aggressive, use his size down low, be physical, what Coach bayheim has been preaching but I'll take the over slightly because I think at this stage in the year he's going to work on expanding his game a little bit. I'm I'm going to actually go under here. He, he's right. battled with some foul issues in the past, and I think he's going to have a chance to really exploit the offensive glass here. And we mentioned the offensive rebounding numbers and how atrocious they are for Pitt. Yeah. I like the under of one and a half jumpers taken, and also the fact that this Pitt team lets their opposition take a lot of threes. So... I don't think we're going to see Garrier take a three in this game, and I think he can feast on the offensive glass. Okay, fair enough. Next up, Jesse Edwards. Another one and a half for you, but this time we're setting it in the points department. Will Jesse Edwards get to that two-point mark in this game? I want to take the over, but the safer bet here is the under. I mean... Unless it's a blowout and he gets in late in scores, he's just not going to be looking to score if he's out there in a tight game. So unless it happens in the first half or he gets a free throw when he's fouled on a rebound or something, I think we'll t- I'm going to take the under slightly. I-, I hope he gets improves me wrong, gets to two points or more. 
Yeah, all we're asking for is a bucket here, and I think he does get that. It seems like, especially in some of these games, he'll come in, and he makes the most of the minutes that he's in there. He should, especially against this team. Right, and I I like the offensive rebound and kind of put-back thing that he could get in this game, where whether he gets it on a tip-in or he comes down with it and gets fouled, goes to the line a couple times, I like the over on the one-and-a-half here on Jesse Edwards. Okay, some other things we're looking for. I think we just have to go back to the well on this one because it was so fun and dramatic last time. Barama Sidibe, four and a half fouls. What are you taking? You can copy and paste my response last week. <laughs> I'm taking the over every time on this, Tyler. If it's Sidibe, I just don't want to be rooting on the other side. It's just too stressful to root against him fouling. He's done it too much. Six of the last seven, he's reached five fouls and fouled out even though he did it in eight minutes. And, you know, I talked to him after the game, uh, after that game against Georgia Tech, and he's he's a fun interview. He's very honest. He kind of laughs with you sometimes. And he was just blatantly honest. He was like, I don't even know. Like, it's really hard for me to balance being aggressive and not fouling. Like, I, I had, you know, no fouls in the first half. I, he was laughing at himself. Like, I don't know how I went from eight, eight minutes with no fouls to fouling out. I didn't tell him about our prop bet, but maybe I should have. <laughs> um, and he's honest. I mean, he's like, yeah, coach is never satisfied with me, but I love that. Like, I want to get better, and that's what he wants me to do as well. So he's a, he's got the right head on his shoulders. He's trying hard. As Jim says, it's kind of a mystery that he hasn't been playing better, but until he proves me wrong, I'm taking five fouls every time. All right. I'm with you. I'm going over. It's just – you're right. It's too stressful to be on the other side. <laughs> Will a post player on the Pittsburgh Panthers set a new career high like we saw with Moses Wright? And every other post player this year. Yeah. I'll, I'll say no for this because, as we talked about, they don't really have many post players. Terrell Brown, I don't know what his career high is. He's a candidate, I guess, just because it is Syracuse, but I don't think it happens back-to-back games given that this Pitt team just doesn't have much dominance down low. I'm with you. I yeah. It's just like, do we even classify someone who's maybe six six or six eight as a, a post player? Who knows? I guess if they play a front court position, if there's three yeah. guards on the floor that are smaller than them at the time, we can classify it. If, if we see them getting a lot of points on Matthew Gutierrez's film breakdowns, it counts. <laughs> yes. Right. All right. Last one here. Jim Beheim's jacket, which has come off a number <laughs> of times against Pitt. Will it come off this time against the Panthers? I'm going to say no. I don't think there's enough on the line here. These are two teams. Oh, so you that, think he's tamed? I think he's tamed this game. I mean, it's basically just an NIT primer for both these teams. Not not so much Pittsburgh, because I don't think they'll get into the NIT. But, yeah, it's sort of rivalry history here, and, and maybe he's just agitated from the season as a whole. But more often than not, he leaves the jacket on. I know it's a road game where maybe the refs could get into it a little bit. But I'm gonna say no because I just think he's he's tame for the last four regular season games. I'm gonna say yes because I think it's one of those things where the frustration has reached such a level where even though the game doesn't mean as much, there are things where you're gonna say we have been working on this all year long and you are still messing it up. Yeah. And to that degree, he takes off the jacket and throws it, and we never see it again. So. Those are That's the prop shop for you right there. We'll give you the results of those. You can play along as well with your picks, and you can reply 
to us on Twitter. So just you can drop it below when we tweet out the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Locked on Syracuse. The Orange and the Panthers tonight. Are you going to be there? No, I won't be there at this one. Okay. But we'll follow along. We'll listen to the broadcast where they show the Tyler Ennis shot and, and talk about <laughs> Jerry McNamara and Joe Girard's relationship, I'm sure. It'll be right. fun. I, I, you know, this is all we have left here is, is four more games. Enjoy Elijah Hughes while you got him. And maybe they get on a little bit of a run here into the ACC tournament. All right. Sounds good. Syracuse Pitt tonight.